Hello, listeners. Thank you so much for listening to our show. You can take your listening further and support our work by becoming a member. Members receive an ad-free listening experience, members-only bonus content, an invitation to join the DSR Network Slack community, a members-only newsletter, and members-only blog posts. For the month of February, take 10% off the regular membership price. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code WORDS. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy code WORDS. Thank you. This is Words Matter with Norm Ornstein. We've got the votes and screw the rest of you. And Dr. Kavita Patel. These might be some of the smaller moments, you know, with all the bombshells. Didn't catch people's eyes. Hello and welcome to Words Matter from the DSR Network. Each week, Norm Ornstein and I will talk about the issues facing our country as we head into another election cycle and deal with the aftermath of the previous one. Today, I'm so happy to be back, Norm. I was away. We can have a very nice soccer conversation in our bonus so that I don't bore everybody right now. But I was uh, away being a very good soccer mom for my eight-year-old and have a lot of... Literally um, a soccer mom. I was, literally. So just in case people wonder, and I was very, I pulled, yanked our whole family out out of school so that we could try to all be together and do something. I've never been to Spain, so this was like a nice way to try to also tuck in a little bit of um, a vacation. So well, maybe the member section, I can go on and on about what, what that was like. But but very happy to be back with you. And I was kind of hoping I'd come back, Norm, and you would have fixed everything. Matt Gates would have gotten along with Nancy Pelosi. And lo and behold, we still have quite a mess on our hands. So I want to I want to del- I want to see what's on your mind but uh, kind of get some thoughts and reactions to Ohio and why if but folks are obviously paying more attention to not only what's happened in Palestine, Ohio, but the aftermath of what I would say qualifies in my mind as a public health and environmental disaster. And now kind of all the, you know, finger pointing and manipulation of the president's trip to Kiev, as well as his support for Ukraine as somehow turning his back on Ohio. And so maybe to get listeners caught up to speed, just to, to highlight what's what's at stake here and what happened were basically the, the train, as I recall, and I wanted to look this up, it was this is not just in Ohio, but we also had, I look, to see derailments in California and in Nebraska. And ha- there have been railroad worker unions call for a long time. We've talked about the rail- railroad workers' plights around healthcare and staffing and the strike that was averted due to Biden's intervention, as well as other Democrats. However, unfortunately, the 151-car train and then carrying 18,000 tons left in Palestine, Ohio, what I would say we still have not unpacked in terms of its environmental impact and the hazardous spills from the chemicals that were carried on that train. But it has just put yet again another light on issues for safer cars, staffing, paid sick leave, larger crew, and all the things that you and I have been discussing that were important for the midterms, for today, and for the future. All right. I'll stop there and get get your thoughts and reactions, Norman. Tell me, 
tell me what I missed in terms of the aftermath of this and what we should call listeners' attention to. So just to uh, do a little bit more to bring people up to date, this was a 50-car train that derailed. At least five of those cars carried vinyl chloride, which is uh, deeply toxic and cause all kinds of cancers. There was a, an immediate fear that this could spread in very bad ways, and so the local officials, and apparently with an okay from the governor, decided to do a, what they called a controlled burn, but with no idea what uh, the impact would be of that controlled burn. What we do know is that some got into the water, at least several thousand fish died. We still don't have any idea if the water is safe or drinkable. We know that as soon as this happened, and as you said, this is not the first soon as this happened, President Biden called Governor Mike DeWine, Republican Governor Mike DeWine. Governor DeWine said, the president called me, said he would do anything we needed to help. And I told him, we don't need anything. If that changes, I'll call you. The NTSB, National Transportation Safety Board, and the EPA were on alert about this. It gets very complicated, Kavita, because the law makes it difficult for the National Transportation Safety Board to intervene if another agency is involved. And EPA is the agency that needed to be involved because it involves these toxic wastes and toxic materials. But immediately after this, the Republican message machine, through its wholly owned subsidiary, Fox, I won't call it Fox News because it is not news, went on the rampage against Pete Buttigieg. Now, I would have advised Pete Buttigieg to immediately go to East Palestine, Ohio. As a PR gesture, there was nothing he could do. And what Buttigieg said afterwards, which is accurate, is that the protocol is that the NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board, which is an independent agency, not a part of the Transportation Department, takes the lead here, and transportation secretaries don't travel to Trump, to use that word advisedly, what the appropriate agency is doing. So he did not go there. I still would have gone to head off some of the criticism. But what's clear is that the onus here is on both local officials and the governor of Ohio, but even more on Norfolk Southern. Now, to step back, and as you said, and this is also very important, the Obama administration had put in place a regulation requiring stiffer safety standards specifically for incidents like this, because so many dangerous and toxic materials are transported across the country by train. And what we know more broadly is two important things. One, the railroad industry at every turn has tried to block and stymie and usually succeeded at any safety regulations, any federal regulations of what they're doing. And two, the Republicans at every turn try to erase federal regulations of industries. And of course, they're very tight with the railroad industry. And the CEO of Norfolk Southern 
had given a generous contribution to Governor Mike DeWine. And of course, we know that the Trump administration, Donald Trump triumphantly erased this regulation, blocked it from going into place that very likely would have prevented something like this disaster from happening. We also know that East Palestine is a Republican town, a white, mostly working class town. It's also near the Pennsylvania border, and Pennsylvania is involved here because if this terrible chemical gets into the water, vinyl chloride, it could affect drinking water in both states. But we know that this has not been an instance, something we had hoped would happen uh, and what used to happen all the time, where whenever there's a disaster, the country comes together, the parties come together. The most important thing is the health and safety and lives of the people involved. And Republicans have turned it into a farce, tried to go after Pete Buttigieg. And we can talk about some of the reasons why they particularly targeted Pete Buttigieg. But it's created division instead of unity. And in the meantime, the people of East Palestine who have been told, East Palestine, who have been told by their local officials and their governor, everything's fine, you can go back, it's safe, never mind. And of course, then we had the farcical visit of Donald Trump, slightly different from, but along the same lines of his notorious visit to Puerto Rico, where he threw paper towels out into the crowd. In this instance, he said, we're going to give you thousands of bottles of Trump water, and maybe there'll be inferior water bottles as well. So he used the occasion to promote his own brands and presumably make some money off of this disaster. Uh, this is so, the world uh, we live in now. So, so since you decided to go ahead and open the door to not just the EPA, but also kind of what exactly spilled and kind of the toxicity of the chemicals that spilled, I'll just actually shed a little more light on it as well and kind of the EPA's role in this, which, again, just to remind everybody... The EPA is actually still not recovered, even though there was more budget allocation by the Biden administration to try to replace some of the staff and divisions that had been shut down. But anybody who understands government will commiserate with the fact that you don't just take at a transition between administrations and all of a sudden kind of get 1,500 to 2,500 new staff if you need them. So here's what actually happened in the time when basically all these toxic chemicals kind of got spilled into the air, water, ground, um, February 3rd. The derailment itself caused a fire, and then about 1,500 residents from East Palestine were forced to evacuate. About three days later, they were told that, that it was safe by the EPA, by the governor, by the mayor, and that they could return. And what's really not known is that the primary chemicals that were released burn, and so vinyl chloride and some of the other chemicals tend to actually at fire at the temperature of fire burn but also release something else called hydrogen chloride and phosgene and so this isn't just okay these chemicals can be harmful to humans but we've contained it that we have never really seen and still have not not from the epa not from um, norfolk southern which is a train railway operator we have not seen or quantified how much was released into the air what was spilled on the ground and that could those the fire that was created thought to be from that derailment, which is obviously why the NTSB is on scene, could that have been because of other toxic substances? So getting the people of East Palestine like evacuated was the right thing to do. And then the question still looms from a health perspective, like, 
okay, what effects, what dangerous effects over time could there be? Because it can obviously not just the leaching into the drinking water, which prompted the Trump bottled water, but contamination of the soil and kind of all of these things still not known. And I think this is where I personally kind of having read through and watching some of this unfold in real time while I was away, I really was turning to some of the environmental advocacy groups. Um, Earth Justice is one that I put a lot of like uh, kind of they're a very well-known environmental group that I have looked to when we've had similar issues. And they made a really good point. They basically said, look, we need to get more federal aid in order to do the longer term and kind of medical monitoring of all the people that could have been affected. And then on top of that, you know, we need to make sure that residents have access to well testing and some of these things, which I, I will say there's a the Ohio health director physician named Bruce Vanderhoff has actually said, you know, people have access to this. But when I've seen these types of environmental spills occur, there's layers of awareness. There's like that immediate evacuation. People come back in the home and then people assume that because they were let let back into their homes, that everything is fine. And even messages from the EPA will not resonate. So you really have to do this like community-wide campaign. Why do I, why am I being long-winded about this? Because you mentioned, you know, I could be, I, I can be critical of all players involved, but then at the end of the day, this bickering over should President Biden have like paid more attention? No, he was turning his back. J.D. Vance on Tucker Carlson and a number of other outlets basically saying that Biden is turning his back on like working class Americans might be the most like, you know, might be the most hilarious thing I've ever heard in my life. But then, Norm, I, I do think that there has not been enough by anybody. We still don't understand like what this is and what it means. And back to the point I made that this isn't the only train derailment that we've had. And so what do you think, Norm, you're in touch with members of Congress and a lot, I think Greg Sargent wrote about this in the Post, talking to other uh, people looking at this situation. Forget what everybody's pointing fingers. What should we be doing next at the federal level and then at the state and local level? How could this have played out differently? Um, Well, certainly what we need to do now at the federal level, and it's only going to be done through executive action because of the lines that have been drawn by the radical Republicans, is uh, a series of executive actions taken by the president and in some instances through uh, perhaps NTSB, the Department of Transportation, to implement much stiffer safety regulations. One of them mentioned by Pete Buttigieg is most of these trains operated in an uh, in automated way. There's one person. They need to have at least two. They need to have more monitoring. Uh, you know, clearly a part of this, and you mentioned this, Kavita, and it's something that Bernie Sanders has been pushing a lot, and it didn't get resolved when we have the threatened rail strike, is we've got to do better by the rail employees who themselves are on the line. That includes the paid leave that they need. You know, we're getting overstressed and tired workers. That itself is a problem. But we clearly need braking systems improved. We need the tracks improved. And most of this onus goes to the rail companies. Yeah, you know, I'll say one other thing here, which is there's this reflexive reaction in, across industries of wanting to do it on the cheap as long as they can. 
It's what we had with the automobile industry when we had these fires spontaneously in cars. We've seen it in so many places. We've seen it in the airline industry, including the way Boeing resisted a lot of the action at the 737 MAX. And then you get a disaster, and the price that they pay, along with the price that the uh, unsuspecting public pays, is so much greater than what it would have cost to put the safety measures in place in the first instance. And it just happens over and over and over again. You would hope that some industry would say to itself, oh, this is ridiculous. Let's pay a little bit now. You know, it's a little bit like the old Bram oil filter commercial. I'll date myself a little bit where you had the auto mechanic saying, you can pay me now by putting in a good oil filter or you can pay me later when you have to replace your engine. Yet the railroad industry could pay now for a better braking system and for other safeguards against derailments, or they're going to end up paying a fortune. And of course, much of it will accrue to the public in the end with higher costs, but they're going to suffer badly. And it's pretty clear that the CEO of Norfolk Southern, who had promised to appear at a town meeting in East Palestine, and then reneged on that, is a scoundrel. And, uh, you know, my guess is uh, instead of being punished, he'll be rewarded with another uh, set of stock options and maybe a golden parachute, which is another part of the problem here. Corporate governance is such a disaster area. Yeah, that's, and just to, you know, for anybody that was uh, involved in the kind of the Southwest Airlines debacle, that's actually something that uh, one of their pilots had gone, went viral, but basically put up a post that illustrated the sequence of events as you exactly laid it out, where there was very known investments that needed to be made in their basic computer communications infrastructure, but because of pressure on stocks and a new CEO and a CFO and others who came in that had to deliver on that in order to meet their targets to get their own payouts and bonuses, that that was something that was sacrificed. By the way, I could say that it's it's interesting that these are coming up as themes in the transportation industry. We could have a whole other segment and podcast on the exact same scenario. You could just fill in the blank with, you know, hospital or, you know, health system or insurer, you know, payer or this and that. And so medical devices, med any all and literally any of the above. I think that uh, one of the points I wanted to make, it was also interesting because I've been doing a little bit of retro news, trying to search for some of what I've been looking for. I actually didn't see really as much of a presence from like healthcare. You know, there was the Ohio health director made a lot of sense, but you know, these are, I hate to say it this way more, but sometimes these are like learning moments and opportunities. And I didn't see anything in the media around the discussion we're having about, so how did we get here? You know, what, what are we talking about with the infrastructure and the railway and how do we break down the fact that this is very much related to understaffing. And why are we understaffed? Because we've got a generational crisis where we are not able to attract people into these professions. Why? Because if you were told and you have skills, if you were told, Norm, you need to be on call 365 days a year for the rest of your life. I mean, I don't know any benefits package where now like anybody of sound mind would say, yeah, that sounds great. Sign me up. And so we we're making these policies and supporting this kind of mental, and then we kind of stop back incredulously and say, "I can't believe what happened. This is insane." 
So we've, I've, I've witnessed this throughout my life. I'm sure you have too. We, it, it's the same conversation we have about gun violence. It's the same, like, but we see the upstream and downstream events. And yet I feel powerless to do anything about it. I will tell you, you mentioned Bernie Sanders. Nothing warms my heart than to see that man as chair of the Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee because he's already sent out a mission of here are all the people I'm going to be bringing in. And I would actually not that anybody and maybe someone in Sanders' office might hear this or maybe a, another congressional staffer might hear this. This should be an issue that the health committee takes, not just because of labor being sound in their jurisdiction, but this absolutely is a health issue. Why? Because the health issue started in the lack of paid sick leave, the lack of like security that if you're sick and have to take care of yourself, that you can't do that. And then now talking about what I know is going to be, uh, unfortunately, one of those events. Imagine living in East Palestine. Imagine being a father or a mother with a little baby and constantly wondering, like even after you're told things are fine, constantly wondering if something that happens to your child could have been related to this. And the likelihood is very low, just given what what the situation was on the ground and what I read about it. But that that's unacceptable in 2023. Like we have ways to do these things. That, and I haven't seen like this burning urgency to do it because I, you've got J.D. Vance and even Mike DeWine and you know, all these people, Marco Rubio pointing fingers. I'll try to pull up his words because it was ridiculous. And and at the same time, here's what really is happening too. I want to get your thoughts on this and our kind of closing. Mike Pence, also catching up with my news, um, has basically been talking about like the New Deal and the, so- the centerpiece of Social Security that, you know, replaced the New Deal with a better deal were his words. And that's actually what they're setting up. Right. So if you think about what, you know, Social Security, Medicare, parts of like the New Deal that were literally put into place so that generations of Americans could actually have like a savings past their retirement or have some way to do something with jobs and labor and a future. And if you think then about the debt ceiling conversations happening at the same time, Pence made that remark about the day could come when we can replace the New Deal with a better deal. This is basically the Republicans' way, whether they're as coordinated as I'm giving them credit or not, but this is basically the Republicans' way of saying, look, we're on this trajectory of this you know, massive debt on the backs of our grandchildren. We need to redo this and we need to redistribute this to hardworking Americans. And these times, timing of these sequences, Trump going this and that, it just keeps pushing, it keeps laying down that groundwork. I, that may be like very Machiavellian, in my, like I'm giving them too much credit, what do you think about that in line with what the debt ceiling conversations and where you see Republicans planting their words today? So I, I, you've raised so many different interesting points that I'd like to address at least briefly. One, we've got these Trumpists with all of the pernicious things that they want to do. They're not conservative, they're radical. But the reality is, if any of them, including the ones who are viewed as more moderate, even though they're not moderate, but more traditional conservatives. The fact is high on their agenda is dismantling the regulatory state and the Supreme Court they have happily put in place is already tying the hands of EPA, of the CDC, of almost all of these agencies. And if they had their way, they would leave us with unfettered, renegade capitalism that would 
have even more disasters. A second point, what J.D. Vance, what all of these other evil people are doing is, and what Tucker Carlson has led them in doing, is to try to portray this in racial terms. This is a war against white people. If this had been a black town, you would have been in immediately. I'd like to see them go to Flint, Michigan and see what happened there. In Flint, the water supply was polluted. We had brain damage and other illnesses from the lead in the water for months. Donald Trump didn't go to distribute his Trump water there, but this idea is just a cynical manipulation of race in the middle of a really difficult tragedy. And of course, that's now par for the course, uh, unfortunately. Just a couple of additional points. One, and I want to circle back to this, I was critical of Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign. And if you followed the presidential campaign, you'd think that this is uh, just a really radical guy, uncompromising, all of that. As a senator, and I've known Bernie since he was in the House, he's a pragmatist, but he also knows how to use the power of the legislative body to accomplish ends that are not radical ends, they are social justice ends, and kudos to him for this. And then finally, the mayor of East Palestine, who's a Trumpist and appeared with Trump, basically went on Fox to rip apart Joe Biden for going to Ukraine instead of to East Palestine. And the Republicans, many of them have been all over him for going to Ukraine. And this is part of a larger set of issues. They're using this with all of the pro-Putin, pro-Russian forces that they have out there. I saw Paul Gosar, one of the worst members of Congress, tweeting, Ukraine is not our friend and Russia is not our enemy. They're bringing in East Palestine to try and do, to undermine Ukraine in its fight against Putin and Russia. So for all of this, what we're seeing is another light that is shining on a Republican cult that is undermining so many fundamental American values, and it's certainly not going to work to the advantage of the poor victims in East Palestine, Ohio. I know that the two of us are going to stay on top of this because it's it just crystallizes and encapsulates so many of the issues we long talked about, but it also illustrates like how Bill, in this kind of time period between both the Biden administration and whatever posturing is going to go on on both sides, Democrats and Republicans. Like, where does this go? I'm worried that this is just going to be like any news cycle norm. It's just going to kind of fizzle out. And then, you know, okay, let's just wait till the next thing comes along and then we'll pay attention to it. But I am hoping the, you know, the environmental advocacy groups are all kind of coming, come together and are trying to like rally together to really use this as a way to put potentially candidate Biden for his reelect on the hook for more and to talk about the EPA and then potentially any demo, uh, sorry, to put on, on notice any Republican candidate that they're not going to let people forget, to your point, what Trump has done. And by the way, I have memories from the Bush administration of conversations about the uselessness, you know, of EPA. So <laughs> I kind of remind people that this is a, there's a lot of history in, in trying to do this all while they're trying to stand up more staff and departments and divisions at at an agency that's been gutted and finding money to do that on a debt ceiling that we refuse to raise. So I'll give our listeners that lovely set of tidbits to ponder while they 
make their evening meals. But I want to thank everyone for joining us and really thank everyone for letting me join you back again after a hiatus. And hopefully as you hear this and talk to your friends about it, you can rate, review, subscribe to this yourself on all the feeds or on all of them. But then I want to push for anybody to who has bought a Starbucks latte in the last 30 days to think about using that same amount of money to become a member for the DSR network. And we're going to, that'll give access to a bonus segment where we're going to talk about the lovely activities from the Arizona then Attorney General, Mark Burnovich. So if that discussion and what's unfolding there interests you or any of our other members only discussions, please join us. We'll be back on your feeds on March 2nd.